0: Uh, to Hebrews chapter 11. We, we're talking about faith today because Hebrews chapter 11, as we're going to get into, is um, often described as the heroes of the faith. It's Paul lifting up uh, some significant men, men and women of faith. And so, uh, of course, the, 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 the seed of, of thought that starts to, to germinate into a sermon like this this morning is, is, this, is the nature of faith. And I was thinking about that, because every once in a while you'll hear somebody say, uh, I'm not a person of faith. I, I don't have any faith. And, and specifically what they mean is they're talking about a religious, that's usually what they mean, they're talking about a religious faith. Because the, the truth is, everybody is a person of faith. All of us have faith, all of us live out faith, it's just a matter of where and how we do it. But, but every day... We experience things that require us to, to have faith. I, I was thinking about this last week. I had to go to Publix to pick up a prescription. And I was thinking about this. This is a, an act of faith. Ten years I've been with my doctor now ten years. But ten years ago when I came here, I just randomly, or Tony probably, picked out a primary care physician. And, and I went to see her. Couldn't even pronounce her name. And, and in the course of, of going to see her, she identified something that required um, a prescription for me to get. So, so she scribbled a prescription on a sheet of paper I can't even read. And then I take it to a pharmacist who I don't know, who puts together a chemical p- compound I don't understand, and then hands me a bottle and says, "Take this." And they do. That's faith. That, that, that's an act of faith. If I walked up to you on the street and you didn't know me from Adam and I said, here's a bottle of pills, take one, you're not going to do it. But it's, but it's an act of faith. We, we do this. Our, our life, we can find moments of faith constantly. If you're um, connected with Tony or, or me on social media, you, you may have seen pictures yesterday. We took, um, we moved Cassidy in to her college dorm. This is the week, I said last week that a lot of our, our college kids are, are going or have gone um, to college or Cassidy's Day. Uh, was yesterday. So we, we got her moved in and, and we went, Tony and I went, we sat in an assembly yesterday afternoon with all the parents that were dropping uh, their kids off and the, the president of Florida Southern was speaking and, and she, it was kind of funny. She was talking about the ob- observations she's made over the years of the way parents say goodbye to their kids. Some of you parents or grandparents may remember these kind of days or, or some of you will have these days. And she said there's three, way, three things that she sees. She sees the, um, the quick goodbye. That's the the parents and and the the kids come together, they give a hug, tell each other they love each other, and parents go and the kids go. And she said, then there's the, the prolonged goodbye, and that's the parents and the kid hug, and then they walk a few feet away, then they come back and they hug again, and they walk together a little bit more, then they hug, and there's like three or four goodbyes on the way to finally saying goodbye. And then she said, but this is my favorite, and this is the parents' that hug their kids goodbye, they wait for their kids to go back into their dorm room, and they skip happily back to their car, and they, and they take off. Now, I'm not going to tell you which one of those I was, but my calves are a little sore today. So, um, no, it was not quite that. But, but here's the thing, here's the thing. And, and seriously, we're sitting there, and I'm thinking, certainly you've got this sermon ringing in my head, and I'm like, this this is a, an act of faith. Tony and I as parents, we are trusting the thing, the, the our most blessed gifts outside of Jesus are our children, and we have decided, along with Cassie, as we did with her older brother Ryan, that this is a place that we're going to trust is going to create as safe an environment for her as you can do for a young person. It's going to create an environment that's going to, to allow her to, to grow intellectually. That's going to allow her to grow personally and relationally. That's going to allow her to become the, the young woman that we believe God's called her to be. We've trusted them with the care and the, the nurturing of, of our daughter. And, and we are trusting her. We're trusting her to take advantage of the opportunity she has. We're trusting her to get her cute little butt out of bed every morning and get to class. Because guess who's not going to be there to make sure? You know, this mom and dad aren't there anymore. You know, we're trusting her to, to make the most of this opportunity. It's faith. All of this is faith. But, but, but it's not blind faith. And this is where I'm going. Because there's a difference between faith and a wish. See, this is what this is faith born of of confidence. We're going to talk about that in a moment. What Paul says, born of 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 a a underlying foundation that that gives us reason to to have foundational hope. And what I mean by that is that when I go to a doctor, I don't may not know the doctor, but I'm trusting that the diplomas on the wall mean something. That he or she, in this case, have been educated. When I'm, when I'm going to the pharmacist, I'm trusting that there's a process in place, there's an oversight in place, so they're not just randomly putting things together. There's, there's, I have a faith based on a confidence in what those educational certificates mean. When we drop Cassie off at school, we have a faith born out of a confidence that this is an institution that knows how to do this. It's a, it's a faith born out of confidence that was part of our own experience because both Cassidy and, I mean, both Tony and I uh, graduated from Florida Southern. In fact, she's number six now in a, in a family lineage. My brother and, and sister-in-law Judy graduated from Florida Southern. Mother-sister-in-law graduated from Florida Southern. We got connections there. And so, so it's faith born of confidence. Faith born of confidence is different than a wish. Faith is different than a wish. Every few months, the Powerball gets up to some astronomical amount of money, millions of dollars. And when it does, we all flock out and we buy tickets because somehow we're now going to win. And you will hear, because they'll be out and they'll be interviewing people that are buying tickets. And every once in a while, you hear somebody say this. They'll hold up their ticket and they'll say, I have faith. This is the winner. No, you don't. You have a wish. You have a wish that this is a winner. It's not faith. Because if you had faith it was a winner, then go buy something on credit. <laughs> go, go buy something anticipating your winnings. Go to the bank and see if you can deposit that ticket. It's, it's a wish. But, but faith is different. Now, now that leads to our, our reading here in Hebrews. Because Paul wants to lift up faith. But it's, it's, not, it's not faith born of a, a groundless hope, but a confidence in hope, And in fact, that's what he says at the very beginning. Let me, I, I, I encourage you, challenge you to read the entire chapter of Hebrews chapter 11. I'm not going to this morning. But I would really encourage you to go and spend some time in reading through the entire chapter. But I'm going to read the first three verses and then a little bit closer to the middle. And this is what we read. It says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. I didn't hear that right at the beginning. It is confidence... Something to give confidence in what we hope for, an assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, moving to verse 8. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man... And he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord, speak to us your words of challenge and and comfort, hope. Challenge us in our faith, grow us deeper in our relationship with you, and may this moments, these moments the words that I speak and the words that we hear, may they be from your Holy Spirit and ultimately pleasing to you. We pray in Christ Jesus. Amen. How many of you do um, family trees, uh, genealogy? How many of you have kind of done that? All right, okay, Smattering in each service, there's been about three or four people that, that have done that. I, as I was preparing the sermon, as I was I'm reading through Hebrews 11 this week, and I was in the study at the, at the parsonage. I happened to look up on the shelf, and, and I remember, because I could see it, I, something that, that I keep on my shelf. And um, it's this rolled up um, stack of, of papers. This is uh, something that was handed down to me. I do not know how I ended up with it, quite honestly. Um, but it is, it's a... Um, it's a genealogy. There's a stack of them. I'm not going to I know you can't really read this, but it's, it's, a, it's the genealogy um, of, of my family, going back about 150 years. It's all done by hand. It's not on a, on a, a chart or anything. It was hand created by my grandmother. And she did this roughly about, nine, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty old. She did it, I would say, probably around 1975. Um, just let that sink in for a moment. Um, that's why I said it. I just wanted to see who I could, like, get, get mad at me for it. Now, it, but it was done about 1975, and I know it was around 75, because in the, in the chart, it, it lists my mother... And by marriage, my father and my uncle, Art, and by marriage, his wife, Pam. But it doesn't list any of the other spouses. And then it lists by birth, me and my brother, Brian, but we're the only two. And David was born in 78, but between us, 77, sorry, 77, you're young. Um, and between us was another cousin who's not listed there. So I know roughly 1976 is when she did this. And I started thinking about this. And how deeply personal this is. And I started to think about this text in, in Hebrews 11. Because I didn't read the entire chapter. But if, if you did, that's, if, you went and re- if you go and read it, or if you're familiar with it, uh, you know that, that Paul does kind of a, a family tree. He lists men and women of faith and, and reminds the, the, the reader, the church, of their stories. But as I'm thinking about it, I thought, you know what I think is helpful to think? To think through, at least for me it was, is to, is to personalize it, to think about it very, very personally. Sometimes we read these things in Scripture and we, we read it as if, you know, kind of Paul writing it to a whole bunch of people. But, but with Hebrews 11, as we talk about it, as you think about it, as you take some time on your own to read it, as I challenge you to do, I want you to personalize it. I want you to imagine that you're in a kitchen with Paul. And what Paul's doing is he's taking something like this, a family tree, and he's laying it out on the table. And he's inviting you to come and to take a look at it. He's saying, come, come, come look at this tree. Look at this story. Now, this is a family tree not built on blood relationship. It's not parents to children to grandchildren. But it's stories of faith. It's men and women of faith, one generation to the next. And he's looking at this, and he's laying these sheets out, and he's saying, oh, look, look, here's here's Abel. Remember Abel's story right there early, very beginning of Genesis? Oh, oh, and here's here's Enoch. Enoch's a little less familiar, but Enoch we read about in Genesis chapter 5, and then the part which we read, we've got got Abraham, and Abraham's the uh, pivotal, really the central story of the Old Testament because it's where the story begins to shift into the, the story of God's working through this the lineage of, of this man that we would come to know as the people of Israel, the Hebrew children. And so here we have Abraham and Sarah. Oh, and then remember the sons Jacob and Esau and, and Joseph. And, and we've got Noah's story over here. And we have Moses. And remember the story of, of Moses. And he's just lifting up stories. And he's reminding us of, of the testimony of the lives of these men and women, many of which are mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 11. And as he tells the story of their faith, there's an intentional act here. What he's wanting to do is strengthen ours. He's wanting to say, have faith. Be a person of faith because remember what God did here and remember what God did here and remember the stories of this person and and Samson and Gideon. Remember these stories. Remember what God has done because this is what God continues to do. And so he's challenging you, as you're sitting at the table with him, he's challenging me to have faith, not a faith that is based on a wish, but a faith that is based on the confidence that what God has done, God is doing, and God will do. Because it it is a faith that transforms. See, a wish doesn't change behavior. wish doesn't. When you, You go, using my silly example, you go buy a lottery ticket, you're not going to start buying stuff. But faith begins to transform. Faith changes who we are and, and the way that we engage the world and the way that we live in the world so so faith is 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 transformative in a, in a powerful and significant way, and we look at the stories of these men and women because in it we begin to see the lessons of what faith looks like. I begin to read them and I think what are what are some of the truths of their lives? what are some of the things that we can internalize as we as we Study these, these men and women that, that Paul talks about. And what does a faith that transforms look like? Well, a faith that transforms does a couple things. One, it looks up. A faith that transforms looks up. When I was in high school and played high school football, I used to get coaches on me all the time. With This instructor used to drive me nuts. I'd hear it all the time. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. Because and those of you that played football, and, and this is true I'm sure for other sports, know that, that a couple things happen. One, we have a tendency to drop our head, especially as we get tired, and you can't see where you're going. And your form gives. And so they would tell you all the time, keep your head up. When you're in your stance, keep your head up. When you're making a tackle, keep your head up. Over and over, keep your head up. I was so sick of that. By the time I graduated, I thought, I'm done. Football's over. I will never have to hear, keep your head up again. And then I started being more involved in public speaking. And I was doing speech and doing debate and doing things in college where I had to speak. And guess what I heard over and over from teachers? Hey, Chris, keep your head up. Don't get your eyes over your notes. Don't look down. Look at the people you're talking to. Engage your audience. Keep your head up. And I've heard that from time to time ever since. Now, here's why I share that with you, that in a spiritual sense, with the eyes of the heart, with the eyes of faith, what what God invites us to is, is to keep our head up. You know, a psychologist will say, "Look look inside." That's so what they say, "Look inside. That's how you find your answers. Look inside." And an opportunist will say, "Look around and see the opportunity." And an optimist says, "Look ahead. It'll get better. Look ahead." A, a pessimist says, "Look out." But God says to us, "Look up." Look up. Because there you see me. Have, an, have a faith in which your gaze, your eyes, are fixed upon me. That's the story of these men and women of faith. That's the stories of all the men and women of faith. Is that they're, they're individuals that have kept their eyes on God. That, that that's who they've seen. What they've seen. That's where their attention has been fixed. That's our invitation. Fanny Crosby. And it's, it's not a physical one. Fanny Crosby is a name maybe some of you is familiar. Uh, she is a great hymn writer, Blessed Assurance, and, and uh, I Am Thine, and, and a number of hymns Fanny Crosby wrote that we sing. And uh, you may not know Fanny Crosby was blind. She was blind her entire life. And as she was getting toward the end of her life, um, medicine, uh, the medicine, medicine and medical community of the day had developed a treatment that they thought could restore her vision. And actually not restore, would give her vision. And uh, she was approached with that. And she said, no, I'm, I'm past that time in my life. I'm, I'm too old at this point. And, and one of her friends who were to her said, um, "Oh, Fanny, if you'd only been born 50 years later, you'd have been able to see. And she said, yes, that may be true. But imagine the joy for me. When the first face I ever see is the face of Jesus. The first face I ever see is the face of Jesus. Because in a very real sense, her eyes were always on God. Couldn't see what was around her, but her eyes were always on God. Look up. That's the testimony of the faith of these and others. And this is why. Because our faith demands two things. That we look up and sometimes also that we then let go. We've got to look up so that we can learn to let go. The stories of, of faith are often stories of men and women who had to step into places of risk. Faith is never about comfort and security, even though we'd like it to be. And there's no more central figure to that than Abraham. And, and that's why I read that section of, of his story. But, but if, if you're familiar with the story of Father Abraham, and, and you can find that in, in Genesis 12... I mean, there's a lot of stories around Abraham, but, but, but the pivotal story is that, that God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, I need you to move. I want you to move. Now, we hear that and we go, okay, well, most of us have moved at some point. We know what that's like. That's, that's not out of our experience. We get it. People move all the time, but, but the kicker here is that God tells Abraham to move. And that's no small thing. It's no small thing for us. But for Abraham, that involves not just, it's not like just him and Sarah pack up and go. They pack up. Their livestock has to go. Their entire household goes. He's the patriarch of the family. So that if he moves, servants move. Children move. Grandchildren move. The whole community moves. And this is what God says. I want you to move. But I'm not telling you where. Not telling you where. Just go. Start the journey. We'll figure it out as we go. In other words, he has to let go of a sense of security, a sense of place, a sense of of assurance of of knowing what's ahead of him. I would love to have known that conversation with Sarah. I'd love to have been a fly on the wall when when Abraham walks into the tent and says, Hey, Sarah, guess what? We're moving. And she says, Great, where are we going? "Mm, I don't know. We're just packing up and moving. But that's exactly what he does. And he becomes a father of many nations. But, but he has to learn to let go. And, and as you start to... To, to study the stories of the men and women that Paul talks about, you find that repetitive pattern. They not only had their eyes on God, they had to let go. They had to let go of, of whatever sense of security or, or comfort or, or, or whatever the world told them was most important. They had to let go of those things in order to follow faithfully in the, where God was leading. And what is so powerful about their stories is they're not read through rose-colored glasses. They're not stories of men and women that, that we sit there and go, gosh, everything went their way. Boy, they believed in God and everything worked out perfect. In fact, it's quite the opposite. The very first person that Paul talks about is Abel. Remember in early Genesis, Cain and Abel. Abel was faithful. He gave as God had asked. And remember what happened to Abel? He died. His brother Cain killed him. And and so we read these stories. And Abraham, who who had to wander, and Enoch, who was taken to heaven, but, but maybe before he was ready to go. And Moses, who is a leader of the people, but had to deal for 40 years with whining, grumbling Israelites. And Joseph, the grandson of Abraham, Jacob and Esau. And then they have their children, and they have all these sons. And and you might remember the story of Joseph, how he becomes a powerful man in the land of Egypt. And he saves multitudes through his wisdom and insight. and, And this great story of faithfulness and God's blessings. But we forget that at the heart of his story, Joseph is... Sold into slavery by his brothers. Joseph goes and he's serving in the house of Potiphar, this wealthy man in Egypt. And Potiphar's wife makes an advance upon him and he's faithful. He says, no, I cannot do that. That is unfaithful. And because of that, she accuses him falsely of of, um, assaulting her. And he ends up in prison. And Noah, who yes, built the ark, but had to suffer the ridicule of his community and 40 days and 40 nights and even beyond in a boat with a bunch of animals. The point is their stories aren't all about life giving them the best of everything. Their stories is about a willingness to let go of what the world says is the best of everything to pursue what God says is the best of my blessings, the best of, of my presence. So we're invited to look up so that we can learn to let go. And that is really hard. We have to trust God's direction and his, his provision and his working in our lives in times we can't see where the destination will take us. Uh, it's probably a little bit of a silly example, but I was thinking about this, kind of the way this feels sometimes. I don't know how many of you canoe, like to go canoeing. But if you canoe, uh, you know that, that both parties paddle. Should be anyway. But one party steers. If you're in the front, you are at the absolute mercy of whoever's behind you. I mean, you can try, but the person in the back really has the rudder. They really can control the direction of the boat. You row, they make sure you move in the right direction. That's the way faith sometimes feels. God calls us to row. We're engaged. But we trust the God who is guiding the path. We let go of the sense of control that so often we hold on to. And we move faithfully in those places that open us to the deeper blessings that God desires for us. We learn to look up. We learn to let go. And this is why that is so important. It's a promise for us. It's our experience of God's presence. But it also allows us to be part of somebody else's story. It allows us to be a part of somebody else's story. If you were sitting with somebody and you were telling your faith story and you were showing your family tree, whatever that would look like, there would be names and stories that would be unique to you on that. Stories and names that would be unique to your experiences. My stories would be different. But all would be pivotal in shaping who I have become as a follower of Jesus. One of my deepest prayers one of my deepest prayers is that someday when my children, when Ryan and Cassidy are telling their children about their faith story, when they're unrolling that sheet of paper and they're telling and showing the family tree and they're telling about the men and women who have influenced them in their journey, that I'm a part of their story. That my story has been a part of theirs. And that's, that's so much harder than you think it is because you guys look up here and you think, well, he's the preacher. Well, let me tell you, they don't see the preacher. They get dad. And they get all the rotten parts of dad sometimes. And I have to work real hard in my prayer. My prayer is that the worst of me has not shadowed the best of God. I want to be a part of other stories. And that's what God invites us to do. It's not just a celebration of Abraham and Enoch and Joseph. It's a celebration of their part in the stories of the people who lived among and and came to faith with Paul. And it's a part of our story and we get to be a part of that for somebody else. That's what faith is about, receiving the blessings that God has that we get when we look up and we let go but learning to be that blessing for others. I don't know if you've... Ever heard the story of Desert Pete? Nobody this morning has, which has made me feel better because I'd never heard the story of Desert Pete. But uh the story became a song in 1963 by the Kingston Trio, which surprised me because I grew up listening through my father to the Kingston Trio. And so you can go and you can listen to that. Uh you know, the story of, of Desert Pete by the Kingston Trios. It's online. But um But this is how the story goes. It's of a a man who embarked upon a journey across the desert. And he did his best to make the best provisions for this long journey. He filled his canteens and and, um, other containers with water. He took the necessary food and he began this journey. And as he got further into the journey, the supplies, as they do, began to dwindle. To the point where he realized that he was running out of water, and in fact did run out of water, and the end of his journey was still unknown. And he was becoming more and more desperate. And finally, in the moments of those desperations, he looked up in, in the midst of this journey, and he saw what looked to be a well out in front of him. And so he began to move in that direction, though in his head he thought it had to be a mirage. The fatigue, the heat, the thirst was beginning to play with his mind. He felt this can't be real, but lo and behold it was. And so he gets there and excitedly he begins to pump. And what he hears is just the sound of metal upon metal. No water. And he immediately drops. His, his countenance, his heart, his, 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 his optimism fades And as he's just there in that moment, he looks and he sees a tin can that's been tied toward the base of this pump. And he he looks in it and there's a note. And this is what he reads. He says, Blessings, traveler, do not lose heart. There is more than enough water in this well to supply your needs if you follow these directions carefully. At the base of this well, you will find a large rock. Lift up that rock, dig down a little bit, and under the sand you will find a corked bottle of water. Cork up. Take that water and use it to prime the pump. First, pour about a fourth of that water of bottle over the, the cork and the other parts of the pump. Let it soak in and saturate. And then, as you pump vigorously, pour the rest of the bottle into the pump. And if you do, it will produce an abundance of water. You will be able to drink till you are satisfied. You will be able to fill your containers and you will be able to fill the bottle for the next traveler. But don't drink the water. If you, if you lose faith that this is going to work and you drink from the bottle, you will not have enough to prime the pump and you will not have enough To complete your journey, prime the pump and leave the water for the next traveler. Sincerely, Desert Pete. And I started to think about that as an object lesson for faith—to have the kind of confidence, the 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 faith that says, in a parched state, in a state of need, where where a bottle of water is precious, to be willing to pour it out to have confidence in the greater blessings yet to come. As the Kingston Trio sing the song, the traveler pours that bottle and primes the pump and has more than enough for himself and for those that will follow. But this is God's invitation to us. Let go of the momentary for the abundance of blessings that I desire for you and leave something for those who come after you. And in this case, we're invited to leave a story. Leave a testimony of our faith. I'll leave our mark on somebody else's tree. and sisters, faith born of confidence. It's not a wish. It's what God does and promises for us when we look up, when we let go, and we find a faith that truly, truly transforms. Amen? Let's pray. Loving God, we, uh, we recognize the challenge of the words you speak. And I pray that our hearts would be open to to living into it faithfully, to to have a faith that not only opens us to the blessings that you desire for us, a faith that is marked by a a looking up and a letting go of the, the temporary to receive that which is eternal, but also invites us to be a part of a greater story, to be a part of this community that receives the inheritance and the blessings that you have promised generation to generation so that we would live our lives So that someday our story would be part of somebody else's family tree. This is our prayer. We ask it in Christ's holy name. Amen.